welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, so Kayla, why don't you introduce everybody to what we're going to talk about? I think this is a great one. I want to do a little caveat, which is when I say these words, I want people to really see it as a description and not, I'm not putting it out there to call names or blame anybody. But there's a particular stance that we often see with our loved ones, which I would call a victim stance, a blaming stance, a looking outside of yourself stance and feeling victimized by life circumstances and situations. And I think it's really important that we look at this because we're looking at people, whether you're actually listening to this podcast or our loved ones who feel like they got dealt a lousy hand of cards. And so that what we're talking about today is, yes, that's probably true that your hand is not great. And then what's the current perception, whether it's you or your loved one having the same kind of feeling about their lives? And then how do you shift out of that position? And what what's the impact of thinking of things that way? It came up in the group. I think it's a really important topic. And I think we really need to take it apart. I'm going to put it out there. I mean, this is our loved ones and ourselves feeling like a victim. And I hear it all the time. I, I have thought these thoughts myself. When I hear my loved one talk, it's always something outside of themselves that causes them to behave a particular way. It's always because this happened, because you did this, because they said that, because this, because that, because, and there's never any looking internally as to how you contributed, or maybe it is something that's very much out of your control. What is it that you have power over and what can you do about it? What's your piece that you can do about it? But what's interesting, and me too, I want to I want to let everybody know, me too. I experienced this myself and I have for years and years and every once in a while I go back to it again, but I think as family members we can do the same type of thing. If you would just stop. Stop doing this to your father. Look at your father and look at his health. If you would just stop using and stop stealing and stop doing all of this stuff, he would get better. It's always this my loved one is doing this to me. And deeply, we feel that we can feel that way. Like I have, I still go back there when things happen, but you are doing this to me. And those feelings are just, they're incredibly powerful, incredibly strong. But it wasn't until I identified that, wait a minute, wait a minute here. I can do something about this. There are things that I can do. These are just feelings. And it wasn't until then that I discovered this about myself that I started to be able to make changes. I just want to say from the standpoint of the person with addiction that this is a huge, huge piece of recovery work because I mean, there's a trope in AA, I'll say it, that the only true emotion that a person with addiction has is self-pity because you get to self-pity and you go, F it, and you use. Self-pity, F it, and you use. And you can go years stacking up the the reasons for why you're getting shortchanged, 
the reason things are overwhelming, the reason why it's lousy out there. And rather than blame your loved one with addiction, when you are the person with addiction, you're blaming your parents, you're blaming your wife, your husband, you're blaming everybody around you and everything around you. And it's a very hard cycle to break from. It's one of the, it's a habit. It's a habit to go there. It's a habit to feel sorry for yourself. And then it's a habit to say, in the old days, it would be a habit to cope badly. Today, it's a, it's a habit to try and find the coping that is going to be a helpful cope. Yeah. And I think a big part of this is, like Lori said, this external focus. It, and I think of it as the if only way of thinking. If only I didn't have anxiety. If only I didn't have depression. If only I didn't have this person in my life. If only this traumatic thing didn't happen to me, if only they were not behaving that way. And I just want you to hear, I'm going back and forth between, you know, family members and loved ones perceptions. They're not different. Okay. They're not different. And I think as we claim our own, then we get to really have the compassion and understanding and effectiveness with the other person. But if we think it's only this one way street where they're doing that and we're not, then we are ruefully um, off the track with this. So part of it is to claim that voice. And I just want to do this. I, I don't know if I've said this before, but I have an actual victim, you know, because um, we're using the word victim here, because that means that there's this external factor that's causing you vulnerability. That's what, to me, what victim is, is that something outside of yourself is is causing harm to you. Years ago, I, I was working with this man, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story about what happened with him, but it got me to realize that there's actually a reason that victims are treated in a particular way. So he was somebody that a lot of people didn't like, and he was a nice guy, but he had this way of really feeling um, like everything was against him. And that he had no control. And for me, it was this visceral reaction to him of, I literally wanted to kill him. And I I know that I could throw that around, but, and and I, I wasn't in touch with that, but I'd be like, he's walking in, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And what was fascinating is I was working in a clinic at the time and everybody had the same reaction to him. And I think what happened was because of his way of being in the world, he opened him up, himself up to people resenting and wanting to hurt him. And what I realized is it's a primitive feeling. And so I rolled back into the world of, you know, cave people, which is a place that I feel very comfortable in. And what I realized is that if somebody was vulnerable or external, you know, not able to function at the same level as the tribe, they put everybody else in danger. So being a victim is not just this solo act. It basically puts everybody else in danger. So if you're vulnerable, let's say if you're sick or you have a broken leg or you're not as fast a runner, what happens is if there's a lion, everybody in your tribe has to make a decision. Do I run and leave this person behind? Do I carry them and slow myself down? Or do I wind up having to kill them so that I'm not having to deal with their situation? And it's just interesting when you think about it that way. So when you have a reaction to somebody who is very passive or blaming or whatever, it's old, not just from our families, but from having to survive in the wild. And so it's visceral. And what happens is victims create this pattern in their lives where they become victimized. 
And I'm glad you brought that up because the only thing that was going on in my mind thinking about this is in recognizing it within myself is how powerful the emotions are, how powerful it is without you even realizing it, without you even realizing that this is you're kind of falling into that pattern. And I hear it a lot. Oh, oh, they're so manipulative. And I'm just sick of them being so manipulative. And the first thing that goes through my mind now, you know, having worked with so many families is, oh, this is taking that victim kind of stance. And I understand those feelings, how deeply they can come up. And also when our loved ones are claiming things, the feelings of guilt also contribute to why I'm now going to respond the way I'm going to respond, which keeps everybody in a victimhood kind of stance. Does that make sense? So say that, say that again, Lori. I'll give an example. Let's say your loved ones start saying things like, you know, if you and dad didn't get divorced back when I was 13, or when you did this to me, and dad did that to me, and and you favored the other kids. And did, and so what that does is that in me as a family member or a mom or a dad brings up feelings of guilt, brings up feelings of, oh my gosh, right? Like I did do something that was horrible and I am the cause of the pain for my loved one. So here's my loved one opening up vulnerability and I'm going to decide whether I'm going to carry them, kill them. Or run. <laughs> kill them or I'm going to run away from them my natural response is to carry him. Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to carry. I'm not going to run away. Sometimes I do want to run away. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. But it brings up feelings of guilt and shame and blame within me, which is exactly what my loved one has experienced and why they're behaving the way they're behaving. But now I'm becoming the I have to do something. This is happening to me. I have to do something about this. I have to carry him. Right. And I think the dynamic is that I caused this, you know, because when I'm listening to you, it's like, I caused this because the other accusation is some traumatic event happened and you didn't protect them. How come you didn't protect me? So it doesn't even matter whether you actually did something. It's in the category of I didn't do enough or I did too much. But it's everything. So it's this very wide swath of responsibility for the other person. Now, I'm not saying that that you didn't have a part in their lives and dynamic. But what we're talking about here is the only way to heal is to look at your part, which is what you've referred to, Lori. It's like you have to start to separate this stuff out or else you get sucked into this undertow of guilt and shame and blame and you think you're being helpful to your loved one and it's the opposite because you're basically saying, you're right, I'm responsible for your life and you're not. I say this all the time when I'm working with families, actually, when we scoop in and rescue, and I want to put a caveat on this too, because we're not talking about just cutting this heartstrings off and not being involved anymore. We're talking about this is going to be a while to break a pattern. I call it like weaning, right? Weaning myself away from this particular pattern because that can lead to some really damaging things too if you just stop. But starting to kind of sit back and kind of look at the situation 
and reevaluate and reassess is a really important piece to look at because when we as family members scoop in and try and carry or or also just run in the other direction it leads to some pretty difficult and disastrous things it leads to us feeling very resentful afterwards because oftentimes we think okay I'll give you this money or I'll do this for you and your behavior will now change. You will stop using or you will stop trying to manipulate me. And then when they don't, we get resentful and angry because you are not doing your behavior isn't changing. And that is what you're doing this to me. You're manipulating me. And actually, to be honest with you, it wasn't until I got to that point that I realized, oh, wait a minute, he's looking to my behavior and I'm looking to his behavior for everybody to heal each other. And actually it's independent of one another. It is my responsibility to go and heal my own guilt and my own shame about the things that maybe I did in the past or that I'm not doing right now. And actually the best thing that I could do for my loved one is to get them to some sort of resource where they can learn to cope with their feelings because that's the goal. I have to learn to deal with my crap and they have to learn to deal with their crap and I can't fix their crap. Yeah, and that's why we say in module eight, in the best we have to offer someone with addiction is treatment, talk therapy, mutual aid, you have got to start to get this stuff out and understand it a little bit. I was one of those young people who hadn't a clue emotionally. I mean, you could ask me all day long how I felt. I had no idea. I had no idea, but I knew poor me. Poor me was like my, my default. When anything bad happened, it happened to me and it added on to what had already happened to me. Like we were talking about hitting a wall. It just sort of accumulates. And poor me, you end up desperate to stop feeling that way. And again, your choice right there is, are you going to cope in a way that's going to make you feel better is wellness producing, or are you going to do something that is a bad coping habit? Are you going to use? Are you going to eat? Are you going to shop? Are you going to whatever it is that's going on? And I'm not saying we all have something, although there are some programs out there that think we all have something and a label of sorts, but we do have our tendencies and we don't, it doesn't have to be addiction for it to be a little obsessive, something you distract yourself with, something that blanks you out and doesn't bring you forward doesn't advance any insight. You have to have the insight and the awareness that this is going on for any of it to change. So, and I feel for people, Lori, you once said your husband doesn't get this very well and doesn't like it and looks towards you for, okay, what should I be doing? You know, what should I be feeling? What should I be doing? And there are a lot of us like that, that we don't know what we're feeling, but the work is to learn what you're feeling. It's that important. Because once you know, oh, my God, I'm feeling self-pity. Oh, that one's a killer because I always just go right off the deep end and screw everyone and nah, nah, nah. And so I know that about myself. So I have to really hold on when that happens. And I have to watch how I'm layering it up. And I there's just all sorts of backing up I've got to do and ask these simple questions of, okay, wait, come to terms with it in a different way. 
if you listen to what Dominique just said and what Lori's saying is that part of what we're describing is what I'm going to describe as a passive stance, okay? Because the victim stance is a passive stance. It assumes that you don't have control. It assumes that you don't have any agency. It assumes that you don't have responsibility for what's happening, that life is happening to you, which, by the way, is probably one of the most destructive orientations of how you could live in the world. Because then you can spend every single day looking at how horrible things are and how things are happening to you. And you have no control. It's like, ah, look at this. My life is terrible. This is happening. And here's the thing. It's not that terrible things are not happening. That's not what we're talking about. Terrible things are happening. We want to validate that. What I really believe is that it's important to come at this in a particular way. And the way I like to think about it is to, to look at what's happening as data. Because data doesn't come with judgment. Data doesn't come with self-criticism. Data doesn't come with you beating yourself or the other person up. It's just information. Like both of you guys are talking about, it means you have to step back. Because while you're in it, you can't do that. But when you step back and you're like, okay, I'm looking at the information here. And if I'm not being judgmental and critical, what's actually happening here? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Well, how am I reacting? What's my behavior? Then you then get a chance to shift things and do things differently. But it, you have to do it with curiosity and compassion or else this is not going to work because then you're victimizing yourself. I want to kind of build on that too, because I think it's really, really, really important to help family members understand that it's actually okay for you to, I strongly believe that everybody is, should be allowed to have a pity party. <laughs> I, I really believe it. I'm like, you know, some family members are like, oh my God, it's just so awful. And I can't, be and I'm like, you know what? It is this moment in this time right now, you just experienced something that's incredibly difficult and you have every right to feel very sorry for yourself. Go ahead, do your catastrophizing and your awfulizing. Get yourself some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Put on some warm, fuzzy socks and your flannel pajamas. Put on a sad movie. Cry for a while. Feel very sorry for yourself. But then that's it. But then once things have settled, I really believe, Kayla, this is what Kayla is talking about. You can't stay there. Right. Right. You can't stay there. But it is okay. And this is everything that we teach on the Allies in Recovery website. This is exactly what we teach. When we talk about no negative talk, we're also talking about no negative talk to yourself in your own mind, in your own head. It's okay for you to go on and on is I can't live like this. I can't, I'm done. I can't stand it. I want to kill them. You know, it's okay to do that and then have self-compassion for yourself. It's okay for you to feel this way. And then once things calm down, okay, take the reins. What are the things that you do have control over? And what are some steps that you can take to start making things better? So you're not going to stay in that kind of uh, victim stance. You're going to move yourself. And we talked about this a million times because this is the part of untwining yourself with your loved one. This is the part where you start to look at, well, what are the steps that I can take in order to change things? And I will tell you one of the first things that I did that really, really helped me to kind of change my view of he is doing this to me was I got educated about addiction. 
And I started to look at it as a health condition and started to realize that his behavior is being driven by something that he's not coping well with and he is not doing it to me. And so just understanding that was like my first steps of when he would do something, I would ask myself, what's standing in front of me right now? Is it just his behavior or just his thinking? Or is it an illness that's kind of driving what's going on between the two of us? And that helped me settle it down. That helped me. It's like, nope, not going to get into intertwined with the illness. I'm going to step back. I'm going to figure out what my piece and what my contribution is. And I'm going to work from that, that space. It makes me think of a conversation I had this past week with someone who, on very little evidence, had decided the whole future of the relationship with someone. And they were going to step back. They were not going to respond to texts. And I kept saying, Kayla calls it data. I said, you don't have the information. I learned this from Kayla. He's like, you don't have enough evidence here to do anything. Why are you doing something? You should just be looking at it and assessing how it's making you feel and coming up with a a gentle plan that will resolve this for you. Well, maybe something happened, or maybe he is a liar, maybe he is a cheat, maybe, you know, it's like, I don't know, but it's a little premature to close down this area without sufficient evidence. We do that all the time, and it makes us feel worse because it's often in the negative. Remember Hartman Institute, you know, he's the one that likes to say, you know, that for every five responses, four are going to be negative. If you're not careful, we default to the negative. We default to self-pity. We default to no control. We default to all of this. Um, so it's the easier, shorter, briefer answer that, that explains why I feel so terrible right now, but it doesn't explain what you should do next. So that's what I'm saying. Just take it bit by bit. All of a sudden you have a feeling you feel really sorry for yourself. Why do I feel so sorry for myself? Because they didn't call me and everybody else got together. It's like, okay, maybe, 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 maybe. But it's not time to shut down friendship. And that's often this this kind of very radical, reactive response that I hear people saying and thinking through too quickly. Yeah. In other words, once everything's settled down, you can start to reframe the story in your head as to what's actually happening and start to recognize the catastrophizing, the awfulizing, and start changing those words, right? Like, well, I can't handle this. Well, maybe I can. Or maybe, what can I handle? What are the things that I have control over? I often say this, you know, because I hear this all the time. He or she is manipulating, they are manipulating, they are lying, they are this, they are that. Okay, they are, they may be. You're probably right. But once you know that that is happening to you, that the person is trying to manipulate, the only way they can manipulate you is if you let them. Right, it's your cooperation. That's the data piece. It's like, people ask me like, okay, I'm I'm a, an addiction specialist. So people like, well, I know he's lying. I'm like, yeah, I know too. <laughs> I know he's lying too. And that's so that informs what I do. I'm not taking your information as accurate, which is one of the reasons why I say to people, don't say, are you drinking? Are you doing drugs? What, how much have you had? That's just a stupid question. 
you know, and unfortunately for me, when I'm doing evaluations, that's a, a question that I ask, but it's an invalid question because I don't believe a word that anybody responds to me with this, but that's part of my work. I'm not actually listening to the information. I'm There's a much bigger picture. And I think as I was listening to both of you, I realized that that really what we're describing is understanding the complexity of situations and assuming complexity. Because I, you know, I don't think there's all right or wrong, good or bad, people who are trying to hurt you and people who are not trying to hurt you. It's complicated. If I was going to have a bumper sticker now in my life, I used to, my bumper sticker used to be get over yourself. And that's, a, now I realize that's a ridiculous bumper sticker, but it would be, it's complicated because everything is complicated. People are not just trying to hurt you. They have their own issues. They're trying to survive. They're trying to do it the way that they could do it. So it's not personal. It's complicated. And when you take the approach of things are messy and complicated and not just one answer, it allows you to slow down a little bit because you want to put the different pieces together and then make your decision based on knowing that everything is complicated. I really love that, Kayla, because yeah, that's that's a huge piece of it. It's complicated. There's no simple answer. Yeah. Almost it forces you, okay, this is really, really complicated. There's no way I should be re reacting. I should be stepping back and thinking about this and really reanalyzing everything and figuring it out. And I think that's such a great argument for calming things down first before you do something, say something, or just react. So I love that. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's the answer to everything. And what it's complicated does makes you slow down, but also you realize that there's more than one one track happening at the same time. You know, that the people's behavior is caused by many, many, many different factors. And so once you know that, then you're not going to be as reactive because then you're thinking, you're like, hmm, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. Not that you're going to know and not that you need to know, but it's more a way of not feeling victimized by their behavior because it is not just about you. It's complicated. And if you need to know, take the pause and find a gentle way to ask it. A good, healthy, I statement, brief way to ask it in the right time if you really need to know. And you still might not get the answer. And no, you might not. Because <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. And because you know the bigger picture. You know the bigger picture. These are just details in a pattern that you know well. And we're asking you to learn the pattern, become really aware of the pattern. So there are all these places you can step off the pattern. There's all these places you can step in and do it a little differently this time in the pattern. And my bumper sticker for many years was expect a miracle. Because when you do that, you can expect a change, maybe not the first time, certainly not the first time or the second time when the, when the reaction is maybe huge. What do you mean talking to me about this? No matter how well you, you phrase it, right? What do you mean? I, I wasn't using, you know, or whatever they think you mean. But to pause, to have some patience, to have a little insight and to respond differently it's miraculous. And our families tell us this all the time. There's a whole other way to be out there in this complicated milieu. And it turns out that we can tease it apart and we can teach it to you and you can go home and you can try it. And you too can get a bumper sticker that says expect a miracle. Or don't quit before the miracle. Yeah. Don't quit before the miracle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that could be a whole 
a whole other podcast in and of itself is the settling of the dust on the other side of that big explosive, you know, when you do make change in how it's change on your part and it's really difficult to go through and it it ends up being everything kind of blows up and you feel like you haven't done anything or it's not positive. But then on the other side, once the dust settles, it's like, oh, oh, wow, there was change. There was a little bit of a miracle here. We could talk about that, I think, for hours. So Kayla, I think we've kind of come to the to the end of today's podcast. Can you just give us a quick summary? And before you do that, I want to let everybody know that I want to just let everybody know that on the Allies and Recovery website, we are offering a one-day training. We have a challenge going on. So if you get on the website and you do half of the modules in a 10-day period, you qualify for a free $250 one-day training. It's craft immersive, and it's designed around our participants when they're in that particular training. So head on over to the website, see if you can spend some time going through the modules. And I will tell you the modules for today would be module four, very first video, and module seven. Go and listen, go take a look, and see if you can't work on ways to help calm your system down and feel less like a victim. And I just want to add that our goal with allies is to continue to have institutions pay the fees for our work. If you are in the states of Massachusetts, Mississippi, West Palm Beach, parts of South Dakota, or if you're a Tlingit or a Haida tribal member, it's paid for by an institution that cares for you. So please, it would be free at that point. So go look under sponsored membership, click on the one that applies to you. And so just very briefly, this is the Why Me episode, which is we talk about the feeling of being victimized being passive, um, having things happen to you and feeling like this is not fair and you got dealt a lousy deck of cards and how to shift your perception, your focus and your behavior to move out of that stance so that you actually have a sense of agency, of control, of being able to be responsible for yourself and your reactions and your self-care. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.